0: How y'all doing? Y'all was wondering if I was going to lay out today. I was just going to take a little mini vacation, but I figured I'd come on in here. Turn to Hebrews chapter 7, please. Hebrews chapter 7, we're going to be looking at verses 23 through 28. And uh, y'all should be proud of me. I covered 22 verses in the past two weeks. Huh? Huh? That's good for me, and if you boast, boast in the Lord, because that had to be a God thing. All right, chapter 7, verses 23 through 28. The title of today's message is Title Versus Calling, Title Versus Calling. I want to pray before we get started, and we'll read the text, and uh, then we'll just jump right in. Uh, Let's pray. Lord Jesus, distractions abound. Attacks uh, come in waves. And the enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion. But we confess today, and we believe with all of our hearts that the lion of the tribe of Judah's roar is so loud that it's not just heard five miles away, but it rattles the core and the bones of every human being on the face of the earth. Lord God, we long today to hear your word, not some hillbilly ex-drug addict from Landrum, South Carolina, but we long to hear the King of Kings. We long to hear from the Lord of lords. We long for the spirit of the living God to write his word upon our hearts, that it might be there forever, that it might change us from the inside out, that we might die today so that you would live in us. I pray, God, that you would wipe every mind clear, including mine, of any preconceived notion, or any agenda, any ideas of what should be said or what should not be said, I pray right now that the only thing in our hearts and in our minds is what does Jesus have to say to us. What does your word teach? And when I hear it, let me feel it. And when I feel it, Let it carve me up, shape me, shift me, mold me, and make me into who you desire for me to be. That's our only desire today, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet for the reading of God's word. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 28. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood, that's Jesus, permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Today's sermon is entitled Title versus Calling. I could have just as easily entitled the sermon Employee versus Son. I could have named it or titled it many different ways. And I chose title versus calling uh, because of the text and what the text draws out. And I also want to uh preach and draw in an accompanying text that'll help us to understand this maybe in a little bit different way as well and that text will be john chapter 10 verses 7 through 18 you can kind of put your uh one of your uh ribbons there or put your finger there be ready to turn there when we get ready to go and in that passage we're not going to go there right now but in that passage he talks about uh this jesus speaking he says i am the good shepherd uh, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, and he distinguishes between himself and a hired hand, one that is hired or given uh, compensation for coming in and doing the work of a shepherd. So the idea is, is that you have the shepherd who the sheep belong to. He loves them. He nourishes them. And if you understand uh, a little bit of context, especially in a, in a Hebrew context, in this uh, in this time frame, in this culture, that farming is not, it wasn't then what it is now. Farming now is kind of a, an eclectic thing that you've got a few farmers, and some people do it because they think it's neat or they think it's cool, or so it's a different lifestyle, and they like animals or whatever. Then uh, the farming lifestyle was not something that you chose, it's something that chose you. And you did that in order to survive, to live. And these sheep, or whether you had sheep or oxen or whatever it might be, these animals were precious to you. Why? Is because they were your very life. You understand that in this context that the sheep is to the shepherd, it's, it's life. He must, in protecting the sheep, he protects himself. In, in caring for the sheep, he cares for his family. And if anybody is approaching the sheep to do damage to the sheep, to hurt the sheep, to wound the sheep, then he becomes a ferocious warrior. Why? It's because he really likes sheep. No, No, it's because he really loves his family. And the, and the sheep are precious to him. He loves them. He cares for them because the sheep are his joy. They are his pleasure. They are what provides for him. They are what uh, gives him this, this, this calling. He is called. You, so you see the difference here that I'm drawing out. We'll go actually and look at John 10. But we see this distinction between the hired hand and the good shepherd. And that's what we're drawing on today when we get the title Uh, of this message title versus calling now we could think about this just as far in reference to the church so some churches have a pastor who's given a title of pastor uh, but the question is yes but is he called to that people now you could In your mind, even right now as I'm preaching and as I've already kind of laid out some distinctions between the good shepherd and the hired hand, you can go ahead in your mind and start to make some distinctions between a pastor who has a title of pastor and a pastor who is called to that church. What might some distinctions be? Somebody help me out. That means like you talk and I listen. What's the distinction between a pastor who just carries the title and he's hired to preach at that church and he took a job versus a pastor who is called there and he can take a salary? That's not no problem with that, but he's called there and he is their shepherd. He's not. It's not just a job. What might some distinctions be? Huh? Anointing, passion, what? God's hand on him. What else? Initiative. What? How he listens? Yeah. So he really wants to know about his sheep. Maybe something else. How he invests. How he, invests. he invests in their lives. Yes, he's committed. He's invested. What, Fallon? Yeah, so he's... he's He's wanting them to get good food. Yeah, you know what it makes me think of, Phil? And that what you just said makes me think of the psalm that says he leads uh, us beside still waters. He He leads us to green pastures, right? Why do we do that? You know, we that verse escapes us many times. Why does the Lord lead us beside the still waters? Why does he take us to green pastures? Because rushing water kills you instead of nourishes you, you know? And if you take them to a dry and weary land with brown grass, then you die you know we need sheep need green grass So right he's nourishing them with good food he's invested in them so you guys already see that right you can tell the difference now we can talk about that as far as the church goes that's pretty obvious and I hope that I can say that I'm a pastor that is called at least it's my prayer that's what I want to be that's what I long to be right I've got a lot of work to do I need to make sure that I'm investing got a lot of distractions right and I need to keep myself in check But can we apply that to other places too? I would say yes. And listen to me, folks. If you're Christians, and I think a lot of you are Christians in here, we've got to ask ourselves, are we applying the truths of Scripture to every aspect of our lives? And if we're not applying the truths of Scripture to every aspect of our lives, could that be the reason that we're so jumbled up, tossed around, and unsatisfied with our lives? If the Bible is teaching that When you submit yourself to the authority of another, you need to make sure that it's a good shepherd that you're submitted to and not a hired hand or a harsh taskmaster if you would like to be fulfilled and peaceful. Why? It's because we want to do things according to the Scripture, right? And I'm telling you now that the Word of the living God is the demonstration that God is coming and revealing to us who He is, number one, And how he created the world to operate in the most streamlined, wonderful, blissful, peaceful, harmonic way possible. So, how do we apply that then? The the title versus calling, good shepherd versus hired hand. How do we apply that in other areas of our life? Well, what if we said this? Do you think that there are parents that exist, even in this room, that see themselves as having the job of raising their children. Rather than being called to the privilege of shepherding little saints. How do you think it would change? Now you've got some parents in here who are like, but you don't know these little saints of mine. Right? A boss just needs a whip sometimes. Right? A boss needs to be able to withhold that paycheck because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Right? Right? But what if, what if, what if we had a mental shift? And now, don't get me wrong, those of you who know me, I see some new faces, but those of you who know me know that uh, I'm, I'm cool with the discipline, right? I think discipline, but I think discipline should, it should be rare, not because you just shouldn't spank your kids so much, right? Sometimes they just need to be whipped every other day. But I think, I think, and God help me, if we, could submit ourselves to the good shepherd look to his way and see how he treats us how he invests in us how he leads us beside the still waters how he's gracious with us when we make mistakes how he lo- lovingly wraps his arms around us and he just listens and he cares about what we care about and he he does what needs to be done to provide for our needs What if we took that approach to our children? You know, sometimes sometimes I forget that I'm shepherded by a good shepherd. Sometimes I forget that Jesus treated me the way that he treated me and treats me the way that he treated me. And you know what what happens, Danielle, when I forget that? When I forget that, then I start to treat my children like unlike Jesus treats me. And what it does is it breeds, it breeds, it, it magnifies all of this rebellion, all of this bad attitude. Because now, let me, let me see a show of hands. Who in here has ever had a job? Everybody that's had a job, I want you to lift them way up high. Okay, now you can put them down. Now, next question. How many of you have had a job with a horrible boss? If you work for me, keep your hands down. Hands way up high if you've had a horrible boss before. Okay, now you can put your hands down. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you, when you were in your job with your horrible boss, found that it was ridiculously hard to have a good attitude at work even when you knew you should and wanted to? Right, Your hired hand, taskmaster, drew the very worst out of you. And some of you were Christians then when you worked for him, And you were at home and you were praying, Lord, help me. Help me to go to work and have a good attitude, even though I'm going to be working for this son of know, You know, uh, you know? And, and you were just praying, Lord, help me not to break out in song tomorrow. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here, you know, help me not to break out in that. But Lord, help me to sing songs of praise. How do you think, now this ain't even over there. I need to go back and reference my notes. I think I'm way out here. But let's run with it for a second. How do you think it was that Paul was in the jail cell and uh, wrongfully imprisoned? And he breaks out in songs of praise songs singing songs and here it is that the Philippian jailer gets saved radically saved so there's a whole nother lesson there you know if you have a a horrible boss and you and you don't have any anything else to go do then start singing praise worship at work and maybe he'll get saved (laughs) and he'll get off of your back but what if we applied and we said you know what The Bible says that Jesus is a good shepherd and that we need to submit ourselves to good shepherds. And as you were looking for jobs, and sometimes you just got to take a job, I get it. But as you were looking for a job, you interviewed them as they interviewed you. And you said, is this a Christian company? Is this a Christian man I'm working for? Is this a Christian woman I'm working for? Is this a place that's going to allow me to thrive? And maybe you're going as a missionary, so maybe it's another question. Is this a place where I can be on mission and spread the gospel? Can I do that? Am I strong enough? Is that my call to come here? Because if that's not your call to come, here, go there, then all of the trouble in doing what, what you're thinking about doing is going to make you bitter, it's going to make you resentful, and it's going to make it hard. What if we as parents applied those same things? And, you know... It's not going to always be easy, obviously. We're dealing with kids. But what if we loved our children and cherished our children and were excited about the things that they were excited about and we made time for them? Doesn't, doesn't Jesus always listen when you, when you have a hard day? Or, man, you know, I, what if husbands, what if we, whew, what, if, what if we said, instead of saying, babe, just get over it? Man, that hit me right in the teeth. I'm surprised I got any left. What you so, you know, what, what if we sit down and said, you know what, Jesus listens to me even when I'm whining for no good reason. And my wife never does that. Some of y'all's do. Mine never does that. But what if you did happen to have a wife who whined for no good reason? And you, though, like Jesus said, come here, bud. And you just sit down and you listened and you poured good, still water into that vessel and filled it up well that's an introduction (laughs) now let's get into the text Hebrews chapter 7 verse 23 that is the idea today and that is what I want you to think about and I want and last week I had this on my heart and this week I have it on my heart too I want this week this sermon to be exegetical, I want it to be an exposition of the text. I want to show you what the text actually says. I want you to get some immediate historical context. I want to do that. But I want you to leave today thinking, you know, I learned a lot today about the Bible, but I also learned how my life can be transformed and made better. Through the application of what was preached today in my own personal life. That's what I want you to take away. Because if you can take away today and you can be more like Jesus when you leave here than when you came in, then the world is going to be a better place. It won't just be that your life, you as a husband, you as a wife, you as a parent, you as an employee, you as an employer, it won't just be that that's better. But when the the believers are blessed, the whole city is blessed, right? And so let's make a difference. Let's make a difference today. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 23. Now, we've already talked a lot about Jesus' priesthood, how he is absolutely superior to the entire Old Testament system. As a matter of fact, all of it pointed to the fulfillment it would find in him. So it was the precursor to Jesus Christ. He fulfilled it all. It was perfect in what it was for. What was it for? Somebody tell me. Well, that was terrible. The Old Testament Levitical law priesthood, it was perfect at demonstrating the imperfections of all people. Okay? It was perfect at that. But it was perfectly imperfect at making anyone perfect. Does that make sense? No one can become righteous through law, it's impossible. That's why Jesus had to come to fulfill the law and then write the law and be our righteous fulfillment of the law in us now that doesn't mean that there is no law that doesn't mean that the law was evil that doesn't mean anything about that but what it means is in order for the law to be fulfilled in relationship with God to be had Jesus Christ fulfilled the law and then came to dwell inside of anyone that would believe and he fulfilled they then fulfilled the law through Jesus Christ as they live out their life according to the spirit walking according to the spirit and now we find ourselves in, and we see this shift from one covenant to the other. I spent a little bit of time talking about the distinctions and the difference between the two covenants. We've talked about covenant a good many times, and we have the Abrahamic and the, um, the, the Adamic Covenant, the Noahic, the Mosaic, and all these different covenants. And all of these covenants were before the New Covenant, and they were distinct from the New Covenant, and they were distinct from one another. Now, they obviously play into one another, and they relate to one another. But I showed you last week the clear language that demonstrates that the New Covenant is different and distinct from the Old Covenant and the Abrahamic Covenant specifically, which we're talking about now. I'll start in verse 22 because this kind of shows us this makes jesus the guarantor of a better covenant now what made jesus the guarantee of a better covenant it was the fact that it was sworn by an oath and jesus and god cannot lie he would never change his mind that jesus was a was a priest after the order of melchizedek forever point blank period end of sentence and he will forever be that high priest that lives now. Remember, we talked about an indestructible life, one that cannot be overcome by death, and death continued to win or hold dominion over him. No, he did suffer death, but death could not hold him. He came back up out of the grave, solidifying and proving that he held power over death. He had an indestructible life. It was destructed, but it was not it did not remain that way. His physical body died, but he, he remained alive even while his physical body was dead. And he was resurrected to prove, and he showed himself with the scars to prove death has no power over me. Amen? Amen? And now he says unto you, and if you come unto me, you are guaranteed to live forever as well because I've already proven that I can beat death. And if you're with me... You're with me, right? We got Jesus, got our back, and nobody beats Jesus. Nobody can beat Jesus. So it's a better covenant. And that language of better, obviously, and it should be, I think obvious, means that it's distinct. It's better, which means that the other one is worse. Worse at what? Both perfect, worse at perfecting uh, people, perfecting believers. The former, and this was, and he goes on. This makes Jesus the guarantee of a better covenant. Here's some distinctions. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Very, very practical uh, point here. Very, uh, very easily understood, I think. Is he's saying, "Look, one difference between the two covenants is that this covenant is mediated by someone who has different attributes than those who mediated the last covenant." Right. So, in the last covenant, the old covenant it was mediated by high priests that were appointed according to law. Now, why the title? Uh, why the title of this sermon? Title versus calling because in the old covenant you had high priests who were given a title they were given that title according to certain attributes and qualifications that they had to have and so they met those qualifications they were from the right tribe and so on and so forth and so they were appointed according to the written code of the law and they were given a written title they were high priests. they had a garb they were set apart distinct they were set apart with a title high priest and when you saw them you knew her who they were and they were appointed to do a job by God and so now I'm not saying that this is an unholy or evil thing that's not what I'm saying but what I'm saying is is that it is wholly different than how Jesus Christ is appointed and how he is to be high priest that's the first distinction that they are appointed according to the law. And this is the fact of the matter, that these were mere humans who received a title and they did a job. Now, in the Old Testament, we can clearly read and see that some of those high priests had a title and a calling. I think that's legit. We can, get, we can see that, right? There was good high priests, and there was high priests that were not so good. There were high priests that obeyed God, loved God, uh, pursued, loved the people, pursued after doing what God had called them to do because they really did love the people and they had a calling to be there. And then it seems like others, when you see them, they had a title. They had been appointed there, but they did not have a calling. If, if, any, if any evidence uh, is worth anything, they didn't have a calling. They struggled in that. They were, they, they were not fulfilling what God had called them to do. They seemed as if they didn't want to be there. This was a job, okay? Same with kings, same with all of these different people who were appointed to a certain place because of law or because of bloodlines or because of anything else other than this was the call that God had placed on their life. And so we see this here. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. And so even the good ones, even the ones who had a title and a call, they could only do what they were doing for a certain amount of time. Why? Because everybody dies. (laughs) It's like, you know, you're only going to be your child's parent for a certain number of years. You are only going to be your employer's employee for so long. Now you say, well, no, you know. Even after I'm dead and gone, I'm still their parent. You are not their parent in any sense of the word except for maybe a memory. You're not still here parenting them. You're not still there working for your old boss. Now, some of you might have had a really good boss one time, and you moved on from that job to another job, and when you see him, you say, hey, boss, how's it going? But he's not really your boss anymore. At least he doesn't do anything that a boss would do. He doesn't give you a job to do. He doesn't give you instructions. And you can be a parent to your child all the way up to the point of your death. But when you're dead, that was my parent. They're no longer parenting me anymore. And some have disruptions in their relationships, and they disown each other. And now you are the birth giver of that person, but you no longer have a place in their life as parent. The bottom line is is that mere humans cannot continually sustain or maintain any of these things that they're given in this place. You see, the blood of bulls and goats did not cleanse from any sin. We'll see that later on in Hebrews. It doesn't cleanse from any sins. But even if the case was that when a high priest offered the blood of bulls and goats, that it cleansed them until they sinned again, or it cleansed them until the next round, until the next Yom Kippur, until until the next sacrifice, that that high priest could only offer sacrifices for so long. And at some point, they wouldn't be able to. This is a distinction. It goes on. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. So he had to continually appoint another every year, year after year, after year, after year, after year, after year. year. And what it's pointing out here is their insufficiency or their inability to actually perfect and bring about wholeness that would last any period of time whatsoever. And then he says, (coughs) but, see that's the... This is this, but this is this, showing you distinction. But he, speaking of Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently, because he continues forever you see with jesus it's not like the old covenant it's not like the levitical priesthood it's not like now we've already showed how it's not like the levitical priesthood in the fact that he's not appointed because of his birth line he's not appointed because of his tribe he's not appointed because he met those qualifications he's appointed because he was a son he was appointed with an oath he was appointed because this was the one that was called to do what could not be done otherwise we had to have one outside the camp to come into the camp to do what could not be done from within the whole demonstration in my understanding in my opinion was to show that the law perfect as it was in in displaying and demonstrating everyone's imperfections had nothing inside of itself that could bring perfection and so Jesus, from another tribe, from another place, from another reality, came down into our reality, became a man, put on flesh. He was from another tribe. He was from another place to do what could not be done within that system. But he did submit himself to that system, didn't he? So all, so all of this shows us very clearly that the law was perfect in what it did but that it needed to be fulfilled in order to bring reconciliation. And that all had to come from the outside in. And this goes on to show us even another distinction, is that Jesus is different from the Levitical priesthood because as they had to have a, a high priest year after year after year, sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, Jesus Christ come once for all to be the priest that would remain and continue forever and ever and ever and ever. So you know what that means? There is never, ever, 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 ever again going to be a need that you have for a priest. Point blank period in the statement. This is the this is the issue with the Roman Catholic Church is that they are convinced that the lay people need a mere man in order to go between them and God. And we say, Hogwash, is that Jesus Christ is the one mediator. Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and man. There is only one mediator between God and man, and his name is the Lord Jesus. His name is Jesus. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no further need. You see, this and the Old Testament is is perfect in demonstrating that you normal people, me, us normal people, we can't go to God. The, 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 The Israelites, they weren't allowed To go into the holy of holies you could not even it was only one of the high priests who was the the high priest there was only one of those who could go in one time a year even those guys had to have a special anointing and protection from god to be able to go into the holy of holies and do the work that needed to be done on the mercy seat of christ and spreading the blood around of the bulls and goats and it was dangerous for him you see you could not come to god you could not come to him you were you were cut off you were not in his embrace they, they, they weren't allowed. They, they couldn't. They would die. But through Christ, see, we've been adopted into a new family. And Jesus Christ is the high priest that has sat down on the throne, who lives forever. And we're going to see who continually... Uh, Intercedes on our behalf to the Father, so that we have open access, and we see all of this beautifully displayed throughout the whole New Testament. He ripped the curtain from top to bottom. Basically, what that means is he destroyed all hindrances between you and God. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he destroyed all hindrances. It is, it is, it is as if it's just your home. You see, the high priest. It, 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 he may not come out if he had sin on him, and that's true with you. and And this will echo what I was saying from last week: is that we're not perfected by law and so many of us we're beat down continually by the fact that we still got some sin in our lives right and, and we, we have these moments of sin and doubt and we have these moments of struggle where we give in to these temptations and I'm not excusing that in the least but what I'm telling you is is that your interaction with God and your ability to come in and out of his presence has nothing to do with the fact that you're still a sinner Jesus Christ if it did then you would never be able to come you would never be able to come because his righteousness as you could possibly be in your own willing, in your own doing, in your own mind, and in your own actions, it would not, it would not in the least allow you into the presence of God even for a split second. If you came into the presence of God with your sin remaining in any little bitty portion, you would die. But Jesus Christ took all of your sin past present and future sin all of it do you understand that dear believer do you understand that when jesus christ cleansed you he cleansed you from yesterday's sin for today's sin and for the rest of your life's sin he piled it all up in a ginormous pile heaved it up onto his back and carried it up calvary and murdered it on the cross He took it down into the grave and he left every last drop of it there so that now you have no need to be concerned. Now, does that mean that, all right, I can just continue right on in my sin? No. What it means is is that you see and recognize the reality of your sin. And when tomorrow's sin pops up, You are disgusted by it because you know that sin, I caught you sin, tomorrow's sin was the sin that murdered Jesus Christ. And so when it comes into your life and you realize and you recognize it, you slay it at the foot of the cross by the power of the blood of Jesus. And you hate your sin. That's why, that's why true Christians, true believers born again by the power of the Holy Spirit make horrible sinners. This is the truth. You see, before I knew Christ, I was good at sinning. I really was. I was good at As a matter of fact, I was good at making other people sin. As a matter of fact, when I used to party, and some of y'all may not know this, I see some new faces, but I went to jail nine times before I was 21. I was strung out on meth. 20, sorry, 20. I was strung out. Give me the extra year, Heather. I was strung out on meth. I was stealing cars. I was robbing people. I was fighting every other weekend. I was horrible. And if you hung out with me in that time, then I was, I was trying to push you. I would make fun of you. I would force it on you as hard as I could that you would get drunk, that you would get high. And I have, I have such deep, deep regrets on this side of it that some of the people that I evangelized for Satan Never made it out. One, mind, one name continually rings in my mind, and I see his face right now with a big old goofy grin on it. One of my best friends, I love him. And I really, he may have still did that, but you know, I was the one that drug him into the pit. He never—he was innocent. He had never done that. Younger than I was, wanted to hang around with me. I told him, yeah, I drug him down. I, I was where he took his first drink. I was worried he did a lot of his first drugs. I was that place, and he OD'd. He's no longer here, and I have to deal with that. But you know, at the time, bother me at all. As a matter of fact, I was proud, so proud. I can drink the most, smoke the most, snort the most. I can, I can fight the biggest. I'm me. Look at me. I was good at it, in But then I got saved. Now I'm still a sinner. Somebody raise your hand if you ain't a sinner. i about made some of y'all liars and proved you wrong. <laughs> We're all sinners, right? But you know what the truth is now versus then? Well, hopefully I'm a little bit sanctified. I ain't smoked crack in a while. <laughs> Been a minute but beyond that the reality is is that i thought it was hard to get off drugs and alcohol you know smoking cigarettes was terribly hard and if you smoke cigarettes i'm not saying you're a horrible sinner but you know just repent <laughs> cigarettes is one of those things you know is it a uh, bad for your temple i'll let you work that out with god but it was one of the hardest things for me to give up tough I thought, I thought that was hard. I thought it, that was hard, man. Yeah, I thought that was hard, but relatively speaking, that wasn't. You know what's hard? What's way harder is to give up the non visible sins. Those are a lot harder. Well, I mean, if you're smoking crack, everybody knows. <laughs> you know, usually, at least within a month, everybody knows. And it's like everybody is saying, bro, don't smoke crack. So you got a lot of people helping you, right? But when it's gossip, when it's pride, when it's greed, when it's gluttony, oh, ain't nobody telling you that you need to lose a few, you know? That's, well, no, uh uh-uh. uh. When it's, I'm filling the blank, when you're being too harsh with your wife. When you're being filling the blank, right? Those are the ones. And really the internal ones, right? A lack of a love for the Word of God. Ooh. You know, you can explain that away in a million different ways, and you can really almost convince yourself. You know how many people, you know how easy it is to hide in church? Man, you know, I mean, we come in here, we got our Bibles. Yes, they're preacher. I tied this week, right? And we're like, man, that is a good little Christian. But man, the lust going on behind the eyelids, the hatred, the bitterness, the anger, the unforgiveness, the despising of others, and all of these things, the greed, the, the, the desire for fame or wealth or whatever, the idolatry, the hidden things of the heart, those are the ones, right? Because you've got a, oh, you've got this facade now. Everybody thinks, you know, the pastor is the pastor. Is He He dressed up this week. Look at him, right? Right? Two weeks in a row. Right, John? Am I right? Oh, goodness, but underneath. under You've fooled everybody, but you know you've not fooled two people. There's two people you ain't fooled. Who are they? Somebody tell me. Yourself and God. And those are the only two people that matter. Because you might have everybody else fooled. And let me tell you how it compounds and builds up. And it will be a weight that will crush you one day. It will. You can only hold that so long. When you put on that show, and when you put on that face, and when you put on that facade, and everybody loves you, everybody's like, oh, what an awesome Christian. Oh, what an awesome, oh, what a, oh, what a, oh, what a, then you know, because you know that that's not really you. You know it's a mask. And now not only do you have the weight of faking it, but you have the weight that everybody loves the fake you more than the real you. And the old enemy is crafty. He starts saying, If they knew who you really were, they'd hate your guts. And you say, do we fake it is because we don't want other people to be disgusted at what we're disgusted at it's all fake it's all those are the things that's we, we can't deal with those we can't we can't deal with the only place to deal with those is under a fountain of of blood that never runs dry and washes away all sin forever and ever you understand how? you you don't have to do that you don't have to live that way that you are accepted and loved and pursued and desired even how you are now I know that's not popular with the reform crowd now with the seeker crowd that's all that's all they want Oh, just come as you are and stay that way. We love everybody how they are. No need to change. The reform crowd, not so much. You better get your act together before you come here. We've got rules. (laughs) But Jesus nestles himself beautifully right in the middle. And he says, look, come on as you are. I take you as you are. You come, but I'm nasty. I don't care. Get over here. He said, now, once he gets you over there, you see, well, you see, when the reformer, they might say, that, I mean, you know, just, you know, come on in here, and they get over there, and the, and the real, you know, legalistic, you know, like, you know, Christians, it's like, you know, they get you over there, and they're like, you need a bath, or you've got to leave, right? And the super, super seeker, you smell great, right? But Jesus, he draws you in, turns and stoops down on his knee and starts to wash your feet. That's crazy. That's crazy. Right now you understand Peter, you know, Jesus is like, you know, I got to wash y'all's feet. And Peter's like, never. (laughs) You shall never wash. You, God, wash my feet. No. And Jesus is like, listen, bro, if I don't do this, then. You can't be washed at all, and you can't have fellowship. He's like, I already washed my whole body. (laughs) Jesus is He's crazy in the middle like that. He's like, yeah, you come as you are, but just know you're not going to stay that way. But it won't be because I demand from you that you change. No, it's because I'm going to change you through humility, through sacrifice, through love, and through me getting dirty, cleaning you up. Now, oh, man. Oh, okay, Christian, if you wasn't convicted over that, then you should be repenting of your pride. Because that just convicted me, and I was the one preaching it. That's hard. That's hard. Okay, I'm just telling you that calling and title are, are different. It's different. It's different. A title gives you the authority to command somebody to do something else. A calling gives you the passion to get down in the pit with them and help them do it. A title gives you authority over people so you can boss them around. A calling gives you a love for people that breaks your heart when they can't be found. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near through God, uh, draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession. I don't need to belabor that point. This is the point, is that Jesus Christ is able to save, but only able to save if one thing is true. Those who draw near to God through him. You see, Jesus Christ is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Jesus. Now, everybody says, that's intolerant, that's intolerant, that's intolerant. I say, yeah, so what? Yeah. Bottom line is is that if there's only one way to get somewhere, then there's only one way. And if that's intolerant, that's fine. The most loving thing that I can do is be intolerant. Now, I could be tolerant and unloving, but I can't be loving and tolerant it just doesn't work that way you know why because if I tell my children that there's two things right here one is poison and it will kill you the other is water and it will nourish you but you go ahead on both of them will quench your thirst both of them will give you life I can't do that I say there's one of these that will do what needs to be done. The other, and there could be a thousand, million, billion, trillion other ones. Every other one will kill you. You say, Well, that sure is that sure is intolerant. What makes that water better than all the other waters? All of these people are drinking all these other waters. What do you say? They're gonna die? Yes. Yes, yeah. So you're telling me that Buddhists, as good as they are, they're gonna go to hell? Yes, I am. I'm sorry, it would be unloving for me to say, no, they're wonderful, they're going to go to heaven, God loves them just the same as he loves Christ, and it's a lie. If there's only one way to salvation, and you make room, and act as if there is other ways to salvation, then that is the most unloving thing that we could do. We don't act that way don't act that way if there's three roads with three bridges and there's a detour in the road and one sign says this road has a bridge that works these two roads have bridges that are out they will kill you we don't in our own personal lives go well I'm not going to be intolerant today <laughs> this this bridge deserves a chance too, right nobody's doing that and the people who are screaming tolerance they're not doing that either Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes but through Him. But the cool thing about this verse shows us is is that those who come through Him stay in in Him. Isn't that beautiful? See, everybody's always talking about salvation. Pray on the Lord. Pray the sinner's prayer. Pray this prayer, and you will be saved. You're good to go now, but listen to me. Jesus Christ doesn't just save you. He keeps you saved. I know I've repeated that a few times in the last several weeks, but I want to hit that home because I want to relieve you of the fear and anxiety because if there's anything that I know to be true, it's this. If you operate in your life and in your relationship with God out of fear and trembling, out of fear and anxiety, not because of the awe and respect you have for Him, but because you you feel like you need to please Him or He's going to kill you or He's going to do anything like that, then it, none of that will be out of a love for God but it will be out of a self-preservation in other words you will get the idea that you think that through your good works and through your good behavior that you have somehow appeased an angry God and now he's happy with you because you're good enough and that is works-based righteousness You see, Jesus Christ died once for all. Once for all meaning one sacrifice that covers all sins for all times, and he continually lives to make intercession. There is no longer any need for any other priests. And also, and I hate to keep bringing the Roman Catholic Church into it, but there's no need for this continued sacrifice every single time that they have Mass. You see transubstantiation means is that the Orthodox Roman Catholic view is that that is actually the flesh of Jesus. That is actually His blood. And so they're sacrificing Him all over again. I ask you, friend, who is the blessed man? Who is the one who needs no more sacrifice? We have no need to sacrifice Jesus Christ all over again. As a matter of fact, we've already read in Hebrews. It is those those who are continually and habitually sinning, who are not in love with God, who are not convicted with sin that they are the ones sacrificing Jesus Christ all over again because they are turning their nose up at his once-for-all sacrifice. And they have this idea in Hebrews. I'm not even talking about the Catholics anymore, but you can see the correlation, is that they had the idea in Hebrews is that, well, we sinned again. We've got to sacrifice again. We've sinned again. I'm going to sin tomorrow tomorrow. But, but thankfully, I can tap back into the sacrifice that Jesus made. Oh, I'm going to sin tomorrow. I love my sin. I can have my sin, and I can have Jesus. And you know, I'll just sin, and I'll be like, Jesus has got it. I'm going to sin. Jesus has got it. I'm going to sin. But the believer is wholly different than that. I started telling you a while ago that when I was an unbeliever way back in the day that I was really good at sinning. And I, and I followed up with that by saying that I'm a sinner now, but it's a little bit different. What's the difference? You know. You guys know is that I'm a horrible sinner now I still sin sins are different right most of my sins now I struggle with are internal sins things I battle with on the insides I, I still have external sins right just ask my wife she'll tell you all of them <laughs> but my internal sins are my hardest struggle but you know what the difference is now when I b- before when I didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of me I just brushed it off ah no big deal didn't bother me right Nobody told me that when I got saved and when the Holy Spirit dwelt inside of me and that when, when I was born again, that the Holy I didn't know that the I didn't know that the Holy Ghost would haunt you. And he really will. Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? Now you do the slightest little thing. You're like, oh, no, is that sin? Oh, forgive me, God. You know, you're like, you know, Well, I was going to say one thing. I don't say that. I'll give you this example. I'll give you this example. This bothers me. Time to time. I'll go out. I, I own a tree company and a landscape company, for those of you who don't know. And I, I price jobs on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Chris sets it all up for me. I don't know what I'd do without her. And so really, I just look at my schedule. and I just follow, you know, where'd Chris tell me to go today? Tuesdays and Thursdays. I try to, right? Sometimes they call her and they'll be like, you need to show up. And I'll be like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> try to always show up and try to show up early. I'll get to a job. I'm looking at the job. And uh, I sell it, you know, and I do a good job. You know, I sell all the right things. They like me, you know. I've got insurance, workman's comp, and general liability, check all the boxes. And I'll be like, such and such amount of money. And they'll be like, all right, sounds good. Let's do it. And I get in the car, and I'll be like, sold that one. And I'm like, is that price too high? I don't know Was that price too high. I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you actually an, an example. And sometimes, you know, I'm like, get off of me. The price wasn't too high. No, it was good. And then sometimes I'm like, yeah, it was too high. I had this job I was looking at for this little old lady. And, uh, you know, I can see how, like, those people who do the phone scams, they could really ring somebody out, right? Because this little old lady, she she was just sweet as she could possibly be. I could have told her anything, I think, and got whatever within a reason if she had it. And I looked at a job, and I can't remember what it was. And I gave her a price on it, and it was within reason. It would have been cheaper than she could have got in Greenville. A little high here, but she could have got higher here. So it wasn't horrible. But she said, yeah, signed, contract, everything. Got in the car, I was driving away, and the Lord just, like, punched me in the back of the head. Pow, pow, pow. And he's like, you know that lady was on a fixed income? Pow. You know that job ain't going to take you but two hours? Bam. Bam. You know you could have done that for less. Bam. And I'm like, all right, Lord. <laughs> I caught her back up. I think I actually turned around and went back over. And I was like, man, you think this is crazy, but uh, I, th- I think I can do this job a little bit cheaper. i did a little bit cheaper. Sometimes I listen. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes it's just my, my own guilty conscience maybe. I don't know. And sometimes maybe I should feel that way and I don't. But at the end of the day, my point is, is that I never, I, I mean, I didn't struggle with crack before, you know. I'd smoke a crack and be like, do you got any more? <laughs> I certainly wouldn't have struggled with somebody giving me too much money, right? But now, it's like, that bothers me. It don't sit right in there. There's something, mm, I don't. And I'll be talking to myself, I don't know if you do this. Do you do this? I'll be talking to myself like, man, stop over-spiritualizing stuff. This ain't no sin. you good, man. And I'll be like, is that you, devil? <laughs> or is that you, Brandon? <laughs> or is that you, God? I don't know. You know, if it's like too good for me personally and in the flesh, I'm like suspect. I don't know. I think that's the flesh. You know, I don't know. If you you do that, I think you do that. Robert, you do that? Yeah, you liar. <laughs> Lying elder. Whole point is, is that, isn't it that hard? It's, and those of you who know, and I'll tell you this too, and, and let's see, let, well, first of all, let's do this. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? It's just, it's harder, to, it's a lot harder to sin now than it used to be because the Holy Spirit just won't let you get away with it, right? It's always haunting you, you know? And you appreciate it sometimes, sometimes you don't. Now, how many of you can verify this for me? If this is true in my life, I ask you. The further you get away from relational contact, interaction, personal devotion, conversation with God, okay? Meditating on the scripture, playing worship music, talking to Christ, running things by him, getting advice from him, you know, through scripture and through the internal witness of the spirit and all this kind of stuff. The further you get away from that, the easier it becomes to sin. How many of you verify that for me? Yes, yeah, That me too. I was talking to uh, a group the other day. I can't even remember who I was talking to. Anyway, I've said this several times. I've said to them, I said, do you know, what if I told you that actually you can get to a place where it's hard to sin? Now, I just told you it's harder to sin now, right, that the Spirit is dwelling in you. But what if I told you, and some of you already know what I'm talking about. Everybody's like, how do I get set free from this sin? How do I get set free from this sin? I'm oftentimes asking myself and God, how do I get set free from this sin? And I know the right answer, but I'm just so stupid, right? I need him to wash me. Do you know that there's a place that you can go in a, in a, in a state that you can be in that makes it actually hard for you to sin? This is wonderful news. And this is how it works, is that the more interaction you have, the more aware you are of the Holy Spirit. Now, don't get me wrong. Everybody has all of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have all of the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to God, right? You don't belong to Christ. That's Romans chapter right. You have the Spirit dwelling inside of you. But the more in tune with the Spirit, and, the, and Galatians tells us this. This is not a new teaching. If we, you know, walk according to the Spirit, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. This is, this is really 101 stuff, but we just don't hear it that much. But, If you are walking in the spirit and loving the spirit and interacting with Christ, it'll be actually a lot harder for you to sin than if you're not. And some of it's just practical. Some of it's practical. Let's say you got a guy who's married. He's had an issue with lust before. And he's had an issue with he wants to be devoted to his wife, but every time he sees a beautiful woman, he starts to Uh, Ogle over her, lust over her, and he's undressing her with his eyes or whatever, right? And it's a problem, and he he recognizes he doesn't want to do that anymore. And so, what's the advice? Well, you need to take some practical steps. You know, maybe put some things on your phone that it don't pop stuff up, and you know, take anything out of your house or unsubscribe. Maybe you're watching soft porn on HBO or something. Unsubscribe from all of that. You know, just just practical things. Make it harder to get through. Make it. Make it so it's further away. But that's not gonna stop you, I promise. Law makes no man perfect, right? You cannot put enough regulations on yourself to keep yourself from sin. I promise you that. Angel eyes ain't gonna help, but to so but to a certain degree. I promise. You can find a, you've said all the, you know, you've put a phone code on your phone that you can't get into it. You spend 18 hours decoding that thing, right? <laughs> when you want to sin, you're gonna find a way to sin. Here's how you overcome that sin. Here how, here's how you make it hard to sin is that you are so consumed with Christ. Now check this out. And this works for all realms. The the woman illustration is just easy to visualize. There's uh there's uh, I was about to do something else, I thought better about it. You're you're there's a situation and, you know, this guy's struggling with us. He's walking by and he sees this woman. he's like, you know, his wife's sitting to the side. Y'all seen that meme is on? Like, oh turn away (laughs) you know he struggles with that well what if it was the case that we'll use the Bible just as an illustration that he was so consumed with God hey Robert come be a woman for me (laughs) come on man be a sexy woman come here come on bro just walk walk like this right here can you walk like that right there No, 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 not yeah. Come up here. That was all right. Look, you gotta, you gotta swing those hips. Okay, look, look. I'm, I'm gonna be the guy. Look, come on. Look, hold on. Let me wait, wait, wait. I'm gonna be the guy that's struggling without his eyes on Christ. Right? Shake them hips, girl. Do it, do it, do it, do it. You shake the hips. You want to be the guy? All right, all right. You be the guy. No, no, you ain't got the Bible yet. No, I'm gonna distract you. Get a good glance, like right there. Ready? All right, now, you see? Now, one elder checking out another elder. Man, don't do that no more. Okay, here. All right, now, you saw that he was just open. He was ready for it. He was looking to fall into temptation. I mean, who can blame him? You know, yeah, it's real good. Go over there. All right, now, this, this is to show you, and I know this is kind of funny, but, but it really is true. This isn't just some, some silly illustration. It really is true. If you are focused and walking in God and walking according to the Spirit, you won't have time. Okay, so here we go. And the, te- and the temptation is like, you know, trying to, hey. But you see, he's so folk. Thanks, bro. Hey, man. You're an awesome girl. Oh, yeah, I was the girl. Heather, we'll talk about this later. (laughs) But you see, the point stands is that when you are focused on Christ, you don't really have time. You don't have the room. Your eyes can only look in so many places, right? And just like that silly little illustration, hey, I'm telling you right now, sin is crouching at your door. It's like jumping up and down. And everybody thinks Satan is like the, you know, the exorcist movie, (laughs) right? You know, Satan never presents himself like that, or very, very rarely. Very rarely. Why? He parades as an angel of light. Satan is sexy. He really is. Like, he was the most beautiful angel. Like, he is smoking hot. Not just because he's in hell, right? He's going to be in hell. He is very, very, very alluring. You're foolish if you think that he's going to jump out from behind the bush and say, hey, come with me, and you're running the other way. No, he's like, what's up, girl? You know, come on over. He is, he is looking, man, and he, he knows. He watches you. But when you're dialed in and you're focused on Christ, this Savior who always and continually abides on the throne as an intercessor forever and ever and ever and ever, when he's captivated you, when he's captivated your mind, and he has drawn you in, and you are just, oh, Jesus. And here's a, here's a very, very, very uh, practical application for you married folk out there. I have, I've heard this said many times, and women can't stand it. They hate it. Even Christian women, many of them. You've heard the old thing. man steps out on his wife, commits adultery. And then the question is asked to the woman, what was the sexual relationship like? What was the intimate relationship like? And man, they, anybody asked that question gets lit up. Are you trying to excuse what he did because of what she did or did not do? And the answer to that is, absolutely not. It was wicked beyond belief what he did, no matter what you did or did not do. But the question still remains. Did you have anything to do with making it easier for him to fall? Mm. Might have stepped on a cord right there. Might not like to hear that. goes the other way. woman steps out on her husband. And usually when the man steps out, it is through the eyes, right? It is through the eye being drawn away because we're visual creatures, right? Woman is half-dressed. That's why you ladies shouldn't walk around half-dressed. You know, at the end of the day, you can say, well, it's my body. I know it. Keep it to yourself. (laughs) Well, this is the way everybody's dressing. Well, the whole world's full of sin. At the end of the day, what you got to ask yourself is, am I helping or hurting my brothers and sisters in Christ? And listen to me, folks. When a man steps out, it's because of the eyes. He's drawn away almost always by the eyes. When a woman steps out, it's because of the emotions. I guess it could happen, and it has happened, I'm sure. When a woman steps out because of the eyes, she sees a gorgeous man. But most women I know would be like, Man, look at his pics. You know, no, I don't. That's not usually. What is it? It's when she's at work and some dude at the office is paying her attention. He's listening to her problems when she's complaining about her husband who won't listen to her problems. And boy, you know, Jimbo, he just really care. He gets me. He cares. he just listens. You know. He, We don't even have sex ever, and he just will sit and listen to me for hours at work. Well, he's setting you up, girlfriend. And and so-and-so, the guy steps out. Well, listen, we ask the husband the same thing. Did you contribute in the least little way? Or husbands, wives, are you being like Jesus? You say, hold up, what? Jesus was never married. Jesus never had sex. No, no, no. That's what I'm talking about. And how we got talking about sex, I'm not sure, but I think it'll come back around. <laughs> it's about captivation. Wives, do you do whatever you can to captivate your husbands? Do you do whatever you can to captivate his attention to, to fulfill his biblical desires now, if he's trying to get you to do all kind of crazy stuff, you know what well, y'all got to agree on all that stuff is he trying are you trying to seek to fulfill his desires in biblical ways are are you are you longing to to be there for him, to be his safe place, to be the place of paradise, to be that? Husbands, are you doing everything that you can to meet and fulfill your wife's desires? Are you looking to make, here, I had somebody say this to me, and, and it, I haven't always applied this, and I need to do so much better. This guy, we were, Heather and I were doing this uh, marriage counseling books, and uh, we have taught marriage counseling and marriage classes a whole bunch and this guy i can't remember when it was or or where we were we've done so many times but he said that your wife has the whole world that is expecting everything from her and it can be if she's a stay-at-home mom if she's a career woman, if she, whatever it might be, but that she's having to meet the expectations of the world all day long, every day, and she could be a stay-at-home mom, and it happened riding down the road because you know what sells? Sex sells, and you know what else sells? The imagination of men that paints these silly airbrush portraits of these supposedly perfect women on everything, trying to sell everything. And your wife is looking at that, and she is saying, I don't look like that. Is that all that he wants? Expectations at work demands demands on everything and the whole world is screaming and demanding and drawing and pulling and drawing and when she gets home are you that place where she can be safe paradise are you a paradise and you'll want your wife i know she's she seems crazy to you we did this whole waffles and spaghetti thing and it has been the study that stuck with me out of all of them more than any of them Men are waffles, women are spaghetti. Men have compartmentalized boxes, and I get that. That makes sense. Women are like spaghetti all over the place. <laughs> and this guy that wrote that book, and I'm almost done. This guy that wrote that book, he said, Husbands, I know that you only get the boxes. And you can think about it. It's really true, right? That every, everything a guy likes to do is a box. The bed is a box. The TV is a box. His truck is a box. The couch is a rectangular box. The, if you look at it from above, the recliner is a box. Everything is a box. His garage is a box. His table is a box. His toolbox is a box. Everything is a box, and he just wants to go to that box and be left alone. And he doesn't. He doesn't tangle boxes. No. When I'm in my shop, leave me alone. That's why. You better be careful because when you're sitting and watching TV and you're dialed in on your box and the kid comes over and he's like, Danny, Danny, play with me. Go throw baseball with me. Get out of here. (laughs) Box. Box. You need a transition from one. See, men transition from one box to another. Well, women aren't like that. Everything's all tangled up. It's insane, guys. It's crazy. You need to praise God that he gave you a wife that can do that because you would die. I promise, you would die. You nearly die every time you talk to her. (laughs) He gave this advice. He said, ladies, ladies, listen. Be that place. I know you don't get the boxes, and you're like, how can he just do this? And there's so many things that need to be worried about, right? And how many of you, this was 1.2. I need to finish. I don't know, but there was this 1.2 that... uh, he said, he asked this question. Let me just do it. This will be fun. Hey, see you guys. Love y'all. I won't hold it against you like I said earlier. <laughs> They're going to do ministry. Soup kitchen, baby. Hey, those two. Hey, give them a hand. I'm serious, too. Those are the two of the hardest working believers I know. I love you guys. Let me ask this question. Y'all, too? I, I promise it will get better. I promise. <laughs> just kidding. How many of you guys in the room, let's do the ladies first. No, let's do the guys first. How many guys in the room have ever just sat and thought about nothing? <laughs> Raise your hands. Guys, if you've ever just, if you ever just zone out and you're just not thinking, you're really not thinking about anything in the world. Get them way up high so I can see who all so most of the guys in the room, you say, yeah, that's me sometimes. Now, how many of you ladies ever just sit and literally think about nothing? Not even one? There's one that was like a halfway. Well, I guess maybe I'm weird because nobody else is. Just kidding. Now, how many of you ladies have ever looked at your husband and said, what you thinking about? And he says, Nothing. Now, how many of you ladies thought in your mind, you liar? Or maybe you said it to him. How many? (laughs) Yeah, tell the truth. Tell the truth. Well, let me say, they very well could be telling the truth. Because let me give you some insight that I didn't realize that there was that difference. When we heard that the first time, I looked at Heather and said, really? You never just think about nothing? And she's like, you do? (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, it's one of my favorite boxes. I'm just like, <laughs> nothing going on up here in the least, right? She, she's like, who are you thinking about? I'm like, what? <laughs> who, what? I was thinking about nothing. Yeah, right. Which, no, really, nothing is going on. Nothing is going on up here. And the guy says, look, sometimes, ladies, you just got to get into a box with your husband. Chill out. Stop running down noodles you're choking him to death on an endless noodle that won't stop stop and get into a box get into the bed get into the living room and watch some tv go into his garage and you don't have to tinker with stuff and aggravate him but get get, (laughs) go (laughs) go out into the garage and just just be with him you know it's showing interest Go out into the go for a ride in the car. Get into a box, right? Do do the box stuff, and you will find everybody, all the women, I'm gonna got on a roll, I need to hurry up and finish, but all the women's like, I wish he would open up to me. Well, let me give you a secret. This was revelational, and I need to, to do a better about tapping back into this. Let me give you a secret, ladies. Let me give you a secret, okay? Women open up face to face. Men, if you want your women to open up, and I know some of you are like, why would I want to do that, right? But if you want to be Christ-like and, uh, and get your, your wife to open up with you and actually sit there and, and help her work through it, don't fix it. Goodness gracious, do not try to fix it. But just listen. The guy called it a listening journey. Wasn't that what it was? Go on a listening journey. And just go ahead and understand, there is no destination. There is no end in sight. There are no solutions to find. There's no problems to fix. There's no correlations to make. You are driving around aimlessly all over the world. But she needs it. She needs it. And you will find that she opens up and she, and your. Love life, and I'm not just talking about sex, your love life will be so much better. She opens up face to face. Men don't do that. Well, wise, you set your husband down and look him dead in the eye face to face. All he thinks is there's a problem that's got to be fixed. (laughs) That's all he can do. He cannot open up. He cannot worry about his problems because he's trying to fix whatever it is that you need to talk about, right? He can't do it. You want me to tell you when he opens up? And this was amazing to me, and it's just insights. These aren't mine. He opens up side by side. A man will open up side by side. And all box material, all box activities are almost all side by side. Almost all. There's only one I can think of that I know it's not usually side by side. But most box activities are side by side. You're sitting and watching a movie. Heather's like, yeah, but when we go to the movies, we just don't really have us time. And I'm like, yeah, we just have us time, right? I need that, but she needs the dinners. See, dinner's face-to-face. I'm like, good food, you know. She needs face-to-face. What did you do today? How are you feeling? What's going on? You know, a, a listening journey. You might even go eat spaghetti together and go on a listening journey. But then we need side to side. But if you want your man to open up, i tell you what. And all the dudes in here know exactly what I'm talking about. Because when you're sitting side by side and having a cold beer, some of you don't drink beer and that's perfectly fine. You're sitting side by side and you're fishing and you catch you a big bass. You're sitting side by side in a boat and you're hanging out drinking some cold diet Pepsi and you are shooting the breeze. You know what happens inevitably every single time? They start talking about stuff that they would have never in a million years thought they was going to talk about. You will, he will open up side by side. He will fix it face to face. So just be aware of that. Why did I say all of that? One, I just ran with what I thought the Spirit was saying. But two, I think I know why God was doing that because this is the fact. When we look at Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 28, and I didn't get through all the text, but it's all right because all of this fits in the same place. It says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, He has no need. Here's the fact of the matter. Jesus Christ had no needs. He was perfect how he was. But he set aside all of his perfection to come and sit with us and be exactly where we needed him to be. He set everything, he was in perfect harmony and glory and perfection and joy, perfect relationship with the Father. And he set all of that to the side. Why? So he could captivate our minds. And this is where we, okay, so very practical. This is where we are to live as Christians, captivated with Christ, speaking with him, finding our fulfillment of him, in him being uh just overwhelmed with joy in him but also but also that the rest of our entire lives should be consumed by it should be led by directed by that reality that we christian means little christ that we are to be like jesus and to those who are in relationship with us that we are to be to them what christ is to us into what in whatever degree that we can be so husbands to wives listening journeys. Uh, foot massages, trash takeout, dishwashing, vacuuming with a little bit of that right there, you know. Do that thing that I did with her. Because, you know, if you walk by your wife like that and she looks at you and slaps you on the booty, that's fine. It's just the one that's not your wife that does that. As a matter of fact, I wish I could get a couple of more of those from time to time, right? That's okay. Do the housework, right? Do everything without expectation. Man, I'll just preached to me right there. Because I'm not telling you to go in there and, you, if some of y'all going to go home, you're going to take out the trash, you're going to wash the dishes, you're going to spray off the porch, water all the plants, you're going to do all of these things. You'll be like, all right, buddy, what's up? You see what I did? Hey, listen. And she's like, "Is something wrong with your neck. You know why? Because you did all of that for you and not her. Man, that's hard preaching. My toes are sore. If you can't say amen, say, like two people got that. <laughs> well I say out, right? Do you do see Jesus Christ got nothing, nothing as payment for what he did for us. The only payment that he got, if you can even call it that, was to was for us to know he loved us in our salvation. There was not we can't pay him back anything. He's not he's not worshiped by humans' hands as if he needed anything. Right, so we we have that, we have that, that call, we have that, and those in your life. And I've got to end it, but those in your life. Let me tell you something. Come on up. I'm done. I guess I'll do 28 next week. But though, listen to me. Think about it this way. Let me. There's some young ladies in the room. There's some young men in the room. There's people all over with different. uh, They're in different areas of life and all that kind of stuff. And I get that. If you're young ladies, when you're looking to pick a husband, young men, when you're looking to pick a wife, right, make sure that it's someone that you are called to and that's called to you. I'm not saying that there's like one woman for every man and you've got to find your soulmate. I, I got questions about that whole thing, but make sure that whoever you are going to marry and be with, that you are. Are called to them. That you're not looking for a title of wife. You're not looking for a title of husband. You're not looking for a written code marriage certificate because I'm telling you right now, those things cannot last. But you are looking for a call that goes beyond the written code, that is like Christ, that is like the sacrifice that He made, and that we lay down our lives to build others up, whether that be our wife, whether that be our husband, our children. Boy, I got some work to do this week, do y'all? I got some work to do this week. I want to interact with my kids in such a way that they feel as if they are closer to God when they leave me. And not because they're half dead from the whipping, right? But because they feel love. They've been in the presence of true altruistic love and devotion and sacrifice. Can your wife say that? Can my wife say that? Can your husband say that? Can your husband say that? I have no need to look anywhere else because, man, my wife captivates me. She, man, she draws me in, and I have no, I, I don't have any needs anywhere else. Can your, uh, can your wife say that? My husband, he is, whew, he is like no other. Whenever a man hits on me, I look at him and say, you fool, do you know who I'm married to? How are you gonna to try to shape up to him? Get out of here, silly. Silly little boy. Silly little boy, I'm married to a real man. Because you love her, because you're devoted to her, you die for her, you wash her with the word. You sit on endless journeys of listening with no expectations. Man, I got work to do, gentlemen. How about you? Jesus Christ is the one who set the example. And here's the last thing I'm going to say, and I'll sit down. Jesus Christ is not just the example. Jesus Christ is the means. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And when your mind is consumed with Christ, and you are in love with Him, walking in the Spirit, in the Word, worshiping, minute after minute, day after day, worship, I mean week after week, that you will be conformed to the image of God, to the image of Christ, and you will find yourself in a place that I'm speaking of and you won't even realize it. That's why He said to the some, He said, I was naked, you did not clothe me. I was hungry, you did not feed me. They said, when did we see you? He said, to the degree that you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Depart from me, I never knew you. But then to the other ones who just loved him, they just loved him, consumed by him. He said, when you saw me, you naked, you clothed me. When you saw me in prison, you came visited me. When you, when you saw me hungry, you gave me food. And they said the same thing. When did we see you naked and clothed you? When did we see you hungry? And they said, he said, when you, when you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. In other words, they were just living life consumed with Christ. And it turned them into what God had called them to be. Set your minds on Christ. Set your eyes on Christ. Set your everything on Christ. And I promise you, you'll get to a place and you didn't even realize you could live such sin-free lives. Because that's what Jesus does. He washes his bride in the water of the word. Present her to the Father without stain or blemish. Praise the Lord. Amen? Praise the Lord. Let's worship Him.